0: This evening's scripture reading will be read from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 21. For as much as ye you know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of the lamb without blemish and without spot, for verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world was manifest in these things in these last times for you who by him believe in God that raised up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God good evening and welcome again to our worship service we're grateful for your presence we're very thankful for the opportunity to meet again tonight to worship God in spirit and in truth, to be encouraged by fellow members of the body of Christ. What an encouragement it is to be around people of like precious faith. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, the passage that Isaiah read a moment ago. We're going to be specifically looking at verse 18 and following. We want to talk about the riches of Redemption. And so we're going to be looking at these verses in just a moment. I do want to take this opportunity to encourage each and every one to make plans to be a part of our gospel meeting next Sunday beginning. We want to encourage as many visitors as possible. We would love to have many people who have no association with the Lord's Church. We would love, them to, love for them to have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. And so we want to do our part in bringing others to Christ. And so I would encourage you to be praying for our efforts. Make plans to be present for every service. And I know that God will richly bless us in our week-long endeavor. Tonight we think about the riches of redemption. I guess if you wanted to sum up what the Bible is all about, it would simply be salvation or redemption. The Hebrew writer asked, in the long ago how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation God has blessed us richly with the opportunity to enjoy the blessings of redemption to be saved to be a part of the body of Christ the ecclesia the community of the saved in a very specific way the Apostle Peter outlines for us the riches of redemption and the first thing that I would call your attention to has to do with the plan of redemption. When we talk about the plan of redemption, what we're really underscoring is the blueprint. And God had a blueprint for His redemptive plan. Aren't you grateful that God did not shoot from the hip when it came to the salvation of our souls? But God had a plan in place, before the world was ever created. And so I would call your attention first of all to verse 20 in 1 Peter chapter 1. Because here the Apostle Peter speaks of Christ. And he said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Now this takes us back to the creation of the human family, and the fact that before God ever created man, before He ever laid the foundation of the world in which you and I inhabit, God had this marvelous plan in place. When we talk about God's plan of redemption, I said this morning in our study that before God made man in His own image and likeness, he realized the propensity on the part of man to make wrong choices, thus bringing sin into the lives of the human family. Unfortunately, Adam Adam and Eve succumbed to temptation as revealed by Moses in Genesis chapter 3. God then began setting in motion this divine plan that had been in place before he ever created Mankind. Now, this plan begins to unfold in chapter 3 at verse 15. Typically, we refer to it as the promised seed. And inherent in the promised seed is the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And from Genesis chapter 3 forward, you find many of the Old Testament writers pointing to the coming of of this Messiah, this promised seed, the one that you and I would call Emmanuel, that is, God with us. Well, what about this divine plan? What about the fact that God had a plan in place? In Revelation chapter 13 at verse 8, the Bible speaks of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And then in Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3, the Apostle Paul speaks of all of the spiritual blessings that reside in the heavenly places in Christ, in verse 3. In verse 4 he said, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And what Paul is saying there to the saints in Ephesus is simply this, that God chose, he foreordained, before the world was ever made, to save the human family in his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he goes on to say, having predestined us to adoption to himself by Jesus Christ. That was God's plan. Now you can turn over in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians and you'll see the Apostle Paul talking about how he had received revelation from God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. So that, he said to the saints in Ephesus, when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which I wrote before in a few words. Well, what was that mystery that had been concealed but was now being revealed under the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit? Well, it was that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body in accordance with all of the promises that had been made in Christ Jesus. So this marvelous plan of redemption took off in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In other words, it began, it, God began putting this plan in motion from that time forward. Now you can begin reading in Genesis chapter 3 and moving forward in the Old Testament and you'll read about all of the great prophecies concerning the coming of Christ. All of this is in accordance with God's great plan of redemption. For example, in Genesis chapter 12, we read of the calling of Abraham. Abraham was instructed to leave his family and his homeland and to go to a country that God would show him. But in Genesis chapter 12 at verse 3, God said, In you shall all families, all nations of the earth be blessed. Now ultimately, the fulfillment of that promise would be realized in Christ Jesus. How do I know that? In Galatians chapter 3, Paul said that we're all sons of God by faith, that is by that system of faith, in Christ Jesus he said for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ where there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither male nor female there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision and then he said for if you're Christ your Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise and so the promise made to Abraham that in him that is in his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed would ultimately be realized in the Christ, that is, in the Son of God. Moving forward, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, God through Moses said that he would raise up a prophet like unto him. And he said, unto this prophet you shall hear. He's pointing to Christ, the Son of God. And then we think about Isaiah. Isaiah. Isaiah, in a very graphic way, depicted the coming of the Christ. In chapter 7, verse 14, he speaks of the virgin birth. 750 years before Jesus made his entrance into the world, Isaiah is foretelling of the coming of the Son of God. And he said, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. In chapter 9, at verse 6, again referencing the coming of the Christ, he said, He shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In chapter 53, he chronicles the death of the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 12, speaks of the day in which a fountain would be opened for uncleanness. Zechariah was pointing to the coming of Christ and the shedding of His blood, but the prophets were foretelling of the coming of the Christ. And so Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, said, "He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world." We talk about God's plan of redemption, the promise made in Genesis 3:15, the prophecies that were unveiled regarding the coming of the Christ. I would encourage you to read Luke chapter 24 verse 44 where before Jesus ascended to heaven he spoke to the apostles and told them that all of the things that had been written about him in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms had been fulfilled. Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the prophecies. So we talk about the promise in accordance with the plan of redemption. The prophecies But what about the purpose? That is, the person. Look at verse 20 again. The person is none other than Jesus Christ. In verse 20 he said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God had a divine timetable. And in accordance with that divine timetable, The Son of God made His entrance into the world. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul said, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Now the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 5, that a body was prepared. That body was prepared where? In the the womb of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 1, you can read about the angel of the Lord talking to Joseph and telling Joseph that that which had been conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit. And the angel said, She shall bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. So the plan of redemption, it involved what? It involved a divine blueprint. Inherent in that blueprint, the promises. The promise specifically, Genesis 3, verse 15 and forward. The prophecies. All of the prophecies penned concerning the coming of the Christ. And then also, the person of the Christ. Jesus Christ inhabited human flesh. He was, as someone has said, as earthly as His mother, and as heavenly as His Father. In Him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's what Paul said in Colossians 2 at verse 9. In John chapter 1, John tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, Jesus Christ, this eternal being, whose goings forth were from of old, even from everlasting, according to Micah chapter 5 at verse 2. He inhabited human flesh. He was and is the Son of God. And so during the earthly ministry of Jesus, you remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What did they say? Well, they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked, but whom do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So, the Christ inhabited human flesh. What then was his purpose? Why come to this earth? To save people from sin. Jesus came to be a Savior. That's what the angels of God announced at the birth of Christ. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Jesus came to save people. That's what the angel said to Joseph. He shall save his people from their sins. What about Jesus during his earthly ministry? Did he not say the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost? Now, secondly, in looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, not only do we have... The plan of redemption, but Peter outlines the price of redemption. What was the price of redemption? Well, the price of redemption was the blood of Christ. Look at verse 18, if you would. In verse 18, Peter said, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, that is, with silver or gold. No, he said we were redeemed with something far greater. So look now, if you would, at verse 19. We were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Two things I want you to see concerning the price of our redemption in connection to His blood. Number one, the blood of Christ is said to be precious. We're talking about the blood of Jesus the Hebrew writer talks about the blood of the everlasting covenant. Have you ever thought about all of the blood that was shed under the old covenant? Think about all of the animal sacrifices that were offered on a regular basis by the priestly tribe of Levi. I think about the great day of atonement and the high priest offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. One animal would be slain. Blood would be shed. And then another animal, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of that that goat and confess the sins of the people. And then that animal would be taken out into the wilderness, signifying the removal of sin from the presence of the people. When Jesus Christ died, not only did he shed his blood, but he carried our sins far away. Now you look back to the Old Covenant and you think about what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, that it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All of the the animal sacrifices offered under the Old Covenant did not remedy the problem of sin on behalf of man. They were simply a type of the ultimate sacrifice that would be realized in the antitype that is in Jesus, the Son of God. Now Peter speaks of the blood of Christ, and he said, it is precious. You and I, we live in what I deem to be the greatest country on earth, the United States. What a privilege it is to be a part of a country such as this, with all of the freedoms that we enjoy. But the freedoms that we enjoy came with what? They came with a price. Many years ago, I used to teach a Bible class on a regular basis, at a retirement home in Old Hickory, Tennessee. We had a class every Tuesday at 1 o'clock, and following that class, we would regularly go visit people in that particular community. And there was one lady that we would visit on a regular basis. And I never will forget going into her apartment and as, as you entered into the living room of her apartment complex, right over her sofa was a picture of her son. Her son was lost at sea during World War II. Underneath his picture was a Purple Heart. That had been over 40 years ago when... when when I was at that time visiting her on a regular basis. But her love for that son was evident by the fact that his picture hung in her living room. Now I don't know about you but I think about sacrificing my child for the freedoms of this land and I think about That's a heavy price. That lady's son helped to pay for the freedom that you and I enjoy. And I don't think that's something that we ought to take lightly. When we talk about the freedom of this country, we're talking about the precious blood of faithful soldiers who literally gave their lives on the battlefield for us. But what's the point? Our salvation cost God the Father His Son. And when God the Father gave His Son for us, His Son shed His precious blood. Those of you that are parents, I think you would understand this. I I think about sacrificing my son or sending my child to war. If it were up to me, I would rather go in place of my child. I would rather be the one to die on the battlefield than my child. But God loved us enough that he sent his son to die for our sins. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountaintop, God the Father said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Did God love His Son? You better know that He did. Think about God the Father. Here is Jesus Christ bowing in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying to God, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, if there is some other way that your will can be accomplished, then let it come to pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will, be done. Jesus submitted to the will of Almighty God. That is He wanted to make sure that that He fulfilled His heavenly Father's redemptive plan. Jesus bowed in in the garden of Gethsemane in the shadow of the cross. Just a few hours later God the Father While in heaven, would view mortal man taking his son and nailing him to a cross. Can you imagine watching your child be put to death? Can you think, can you visualize that? Can you imagine God the Father in heaven watching? as a howling mob crucified his son. To me, we dare not take the blood of Christ lightly. The Hebrew writer warns against trampling underfoot the Son of God. Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. And Peter said that our redemption came at a great price, that is, the precious blood of Christ. God the Father allowed His Son to be put to death because of His immense love for us. The Apostle Paul in the long ago said it this way, But God commendeth His own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only do we see the precious blood of Christ, but the pure blood of Christ. Look at what Peter said. He writes, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You and I, we have a problem called sin. And the difference between you and me and Christ is reflected in the fact that we are sinful. And he was sinless. Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. But Jesus went to the cross bearing not his sins, but our sins. Matthew records Jesus bearing that cross after having been tried in the court of Pilate. And the Bible says when they came out, they found a man of serene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. Simon bore the physical cross of Jesus to Golgotha. When Jesus carried our cross, he was, he was bearing our cross with redemption in mind. Paul said, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. To think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die for us. What crimes had Jesus committed worthy of death? When Jesus experienced the trial that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would freely admit that they trumped up charges to have him put to death but Jesus Christ the Son of God was not guilty of any sin nor was he guilty of any crime but they put him to death nonetheless and so we think about the purity of Christ his precious blood And his pure blood. Jesus shed his blood for our sins. There's a third thing that I want you to see in our lesson text. This has to do with the power of redemption. And the power of redemption is reflected in the words of Peter down in verse 22. We talk about the basis for our redemption. Back up first of all and look at verse 21. He writes, Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. You and I today, we believe in the one called Jesus. And we believe that everything that is penned in this book about him is true. But the word of God has revealed unto us all things pertaining to life and godliness. It is through our belief in the Christ It is through our belief in the Word of God that we respond in submission, in obedience to the will of God. So in verse 22, Peter writes, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Our belief in the Lord our belief that Jesus Christ the Son of God is the one whom God raised from the dead three days after having been put to death Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in Romans chapter 10 Paul said if you confess in your heart the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the things that you and I are called upon to believe in is the resurrected Christ. Paul said that without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain, and we are yet in our sins. And Peter alludes to the resurrected Christ in verse 21. But what about our belief? Our belief should lead us to submission. That is, yielding to the will of God so that we might be born again. Look at what Peter said in verse 23. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. What is the new birth? What does it mean to be born again? It means to be baptized into Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, we read of Jesus coming to Nicodemus by night. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the miracles which you do except God be with him. Jesus then said, Verily, verily, or assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. So he asked the question, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 6, he said, Marvel not, you must be born again. What do we need? Why do we need to be born again? What's the significance of the new birth? The reason you and I need to be born again is, is so that our sins can be remitted, that is forgiven. That's what Peter said on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2 at verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. When we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we enjoy the forgiveness, the remission, the removal of our sins. We're baptized into Christ to wash away our sins. That's what Paul said. Or rather, that's what Luke recorded about Paul in Acts 22, verse 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So the new birth. We talk about the significance of the new birth. The new birth is imperative because without it, we would not enjoy salvation. With it, we're saved. We become members of the ecclesia, the body of Christ. The church is composed of saved people. And the Bible says in Ephesians 5 verse 23 that Christ is the Savior of the body. Now once we've done all of that, our lives are brought into submission to the will of God and we honor this book called the Bible. That is, we try to live in accordance with the teaching, the precepts of this book. And Peter said that this book will endure forever. In verse 25 he said the word of the Lord endures forever. The scriptures are what guide us in this life. When you're traveling across the state or across country or whatever, one of the things that helps you to get from point A to point B is a map. That's what the Bible is. It's a road map. And it's going to guide you safely from earth to heaven. That's why the psalmist said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Here's the question. Do you tonight enjoy the riches of redemption? We sing the song from time to time, I'm redeemed. Have you been redeemed? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Did you know that Jesus Christ made peace through the blood of His cross? In Colossians 1 verse 20. You and I tonight, we can leave here at peace with Almighty God. We can leave here knowing that we have the peace that passes all understanding. It may be that you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. What we want to do is encourage you to obey the gospel tonight. To realize that in Christ, every spiritual blessing is available to you. Outside of Christ, you live without hope and without God. In Christ, peace, pardon, protection, abundant provisions. Have you been baptized into Christ? Have your sins been washed away? Are you here tonight? Maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe your life is not what it should be. Could we encourage you to come to Christ tonight? Could we encourage you to lay aside a life of sin, to leave the world, to come back to God? The Bible says, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And we know that God will abundantly pardon. Would you come as we stand and sing?